14 minutes past the hour of 11 o'clock. It is September the 11th. Piers Cunningham is our special investigative lockdown reporter. He's been doing a little bit of investigating this week, speaking to some pretty eminent doctors in our part of the world who are questioning why we in Victoria are at level four. That includes Metro Melbourne as well. Piers Cunningham, a very good morning and welcome once again to Lockdown Radio, Piers. Good morning, Brendan. You have been speaking to some very eminent doctors and it seems that there's a consensus amongst them that really they think that level four is excessive. We don't need to go there, we shouldn't be there and uh, we should be moving out of this current restraint. What's the story, Piers? Okay, well, on the 31st of August, an open letter was put together by uh, 13 eminent senior doctors, a mixture of GPs and specialists, and they sent it to the Premier, uh, as well as other, other people in government, but particularly it was, it was targeted to Premier Dan Andrews, and it was asking him to, to honour the, uh, the original uh, target to wind back stage four uh, on the date that was set, which I think was around uh, the middle of September, was the original wind back that they talked about, you know, the end of the, the six weeks of hard stage four lockdown, which for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, everyone does know, but it's, there's a curfew uh, and uh, there's very limited movement and there's a huge restriction on business. Now, these doctors, the open letter is there for everyone to read. You can go to coviddoctorsnetwork.com and you can see this. Over 500 doctors have signed on to that, have joined. They're all qualified. They've all got uh, doctors, you know, the, the number that uh, doctors have when they're registered in, in the state of Victoria and, and in Australia, but most of them, I believe, are from Melbourne. So there's a very wide group of people now, specialists, medical specialists, who are criticising the government's stage four and staying with stage four because, as we all discovered on Sunday, we're not out of stage four. They're keeping that going. And... They described it in this letter as ill-focused, heavy-handed and unjustifiable as a proportionate response to the risks posed by COVID-19 to the public's health, which is a big criticism. It's a massive criticism. So there's obviously some dissent then amongst the medical fraternity. Are they having a crack at Sutton or are they having a crack at uh, the government and its handling? Well, I think that... It's probably unfair to attack Brett Sutton. He's, he's uh, Professor Brett Sutton. He's the chief medical officer. But more and more stuff's come out since I interviewed um, Jeff Wells. And he, Jeff Wells is, uh, is a, uh, a urologist at Box Hill Hospital. He's one of the organisers of that open letter, part of that group of 13 that's now been joined by the other 500 signatories. Jeff Wells made various points to me. And you wanna, if you want to hear that interview, you can go to beyondinfinity.com.au and you'll find that interview with... Uh, Jeff Wells, where he speaks for about 40 minutes and goes into quite a lot of uh, detail about why exactly they believe the government's stage four is ill-focused, heavy-handed and unjustifiable. So I'd urge you to do that. But as far as Brett Sutton's concerned, I mean, he wasn't consulted on the decision to have a curfew and nor were the police. We've, we've heard that recently in news reports. The Premier said, Dan Andrews actually said that he can't recall exactly how the decision was made to lock up Melburnians 
from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Yes. I mean, that's a pretty big, uh, you know, impost into people's lives, that curfew alone. It is indeed. I mean, better management is basically the justification from the Premier there, but also it turns out that the inquiry is also beginning to reveal that Sutton was kept away from coordinating the pandemic response. It was taken over by bureaucrats, which again is in contradiction of this state of emergency powers in this state. So yeah. therefore, Brett Sutton himself has been sidelined and perhaps he might be ruining that particular decision because we might not have had this second spike had he been in charge of that uh, lockdown around the hotels and the returning travellers. Exactly. So I think you have to say in answer to your question that the government is, more, if you're going to try to apportion blame between the government and the chief medical officer, I think by the sound of things, the, uh, the blame is, is uh, falling squarely on the shoulders of the government and their bureaucrats. Um, and it is really leading to the conclusion that it is bureaucracy, not scientists or doctors, who are ultimately driving Victoria's response to coronavirus. We've had the massive fail with uh, lockdown mark one through that quarantine leakage. 99% of the second wave cases have been traced back to those leaking hotels, so that is not in doubt. Um, and in that interview that I did with uh, Jeff Wells of the, uh, that group of doctors, the COVID Doctors Network. I urge you to go to their website. If you want to read that open letter, you can. It's on that site. Uh, he, uh, Jeff said to me that if you are statistically, if you're looking at uh, COVID from data they've got from all around the world, not just in Australia, if you are under the age of 70, you have a 1 in 150,000 chance of dying if you contract COVID. So Jeff actually said, that it's younger people are being discriminated against and businesses being closed down who employ younger people um, to, to... I mean, I don't want to say... I'm not, I'm not saying for a moment that we shouldn't be trying to care for the elderly and they shouldn't be absolutely front and centre in efforts to protect from COVID. But, you know, we're, shut, we're making, a, we're making a, a kind of an ill-targeted uh, approach to a very serious problem because... If that figure is right, one in 150,000 die of COVID. If you get it, then, uh, you know, what have you got to worry about? What have a lot of people, the majority of people, Piers, uh, have, have little to worry about? Piers Shivani here. Um, I, uh, what uh, Daniel Andrews' response to this is that he says, and of course it hit the news yesterday and there was a debate on air about curfew and the fact that Brett Sutton was saying that he was never consulted and now you're, you, you've indicated that he was never consulted about the roadmap ahead, if, if, if that's my understanding of what you're saying in terms of your interview. But he says that he stands by it and he is prepared to say the buck stops with me and says it's because they're trying to prevent movement across the city and this is um, something that they've seen that it's working and it's continuing to work. But it's extremely concerning, as you say, that where, you know, we often hear that they're following the advice of the chief medical officer, but that's not in fact the case. And so there's no transparency or accountability no. with that statement. No, I agree. I agree, Shivani. I think that it's it's a real problem. The the lack of transparency and one thing I think really needs to happen is if the government has modelling and it has data uh, and and facts uh, to support its decisions to the, to support the idea that we should stay in stage four lockdown, then release that data. There are enough people who are losing their jobs, losing their businesses, whose livelihood in the long term is being threatened by this. We haven't seen anything of this yet. We've, we've been dealing with the pandemic. 
wait for the aftermath. Wait for you can deal with you might find a vaccine might solve that that problem, but wait for the economic shock to hit because we haven't felt it. We've all been insulated by, or well, a lot of people have been insulated by uh, government stimulus, whether in the form of, of unemployment benefits or job keeper. But when those things dry up, that's when the rubber hits the road or the proverbial hits the fan. And there is very little preparation for that. There's very little real understanding of how big the effects of this are going to be. Well, and, and indeed, and indeed, Piers, uh, just to follow that train of thought, we're going to be speaking to Fiona Patton in about uh, seven minutes from now, and she is okay. very, very concerned about small business in this state, and she mm. is arguing big time that the Victorian government's going to have to start getting its eyes on that, otherwise there's going to be a catastrophe. We'll be speaking to her very, very soon. Um, Piers, also, just having a quick look at the Herald Sun, apparently the latest polling indicating that the government is wearing it. There's a 14.3% across marginal uh, seats, a swing against them at the moment, and the indication I think if I'm interpreting the information in the Herald Sun correctly today, 30 seats could go. So there's obviously some political consequences as well, uh, which could have a bearing on some thinking in the next week or two. Yeah, and I think that if, if it was discovered that the government was really acting to save its political hide in any of these decision-making in regard to the response to COVID and the decisions to stick with stage four lockdown, I think that that really is a, a political earthquake um, or bigger, a tsunami, and, and, uh, and, and hold on to your hat because that's when this government collapses. I think they, are, they clearly they are a government in crisis, as, we've, as we're finding, you know, almost on a daily basis. The police saying that they weren't involved in the decision to have a curfew. The chief, medic, the chief medical officer saying he wasn't he wasn't consulted on that, and Dan Andrews, the premier, saying uh, that that he didn't actually he couldn't pinpoint exactly how that decision was made. Yeah, Piers, we're we're seeing on a on a happy note, we're seeing the figures really plummet now across Victoria, and it is yes. working. Um, Daniel yep. Andrews points to that and says, you know, we were over seven hundred plus in August, and we've now down to the double digits and getting fairly low. What I'm seeing is when I went for a walk on the beach yesterday, me in my solo mask, because all the young people, every single one of them down there, I would have passed maybe fifteen, twenty people, none of them wearing masks. And this okay. is down and on the then, peninsula. And I think this is them rebelling against what they see as, you know, it's not required, I'm not doing this. Um, mm. So there, there is still a concern and I think masks seem to be working, but it's a really, um, it's, it's so interesting to hear from you because you've provided us with that really vital information that play, oh, quite frankly, I, I wasn't aware of it, of this open letter and we really ne- should be following the medical officers Thank you for your time today and for imparting that to us because I think it's so important that the public and we try and provide some sort of transparency in terms of what's happening to our state and to to us as we struggle yeah. with this um, yeah. situation. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, I urge people to listen to that full interview I did with Jeff Wells, uh, a urologist and, and one of the organisers behind that letter of uh, the, you know, that was put to the Premier on the 31st of August. Um, the letter in full is available uh, at uh, the, uh, the COVID doctors, doctors network.com website. 
And the interview with Jeff Wells is on our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au. Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. Our special lockdown reporter here for RPPFM. Piers, we're going to set you another task as well. I want you to go and investigate the espionage that is continuing now across the across the various research institutes that are working on a COVID vaccine. There's your, there's your homework for next week. Piers... <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Most enlightening, beyondinfinity.com.au if you want to listen to that incisive interview that Piers has done with some concerned doctors, over 500 of them now, who are taking issue with Level 4 lockdown. Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. We'll speak to you soon. This is Lockdown Radio on RPPFM where we link our community. Linking our community, that's what we do here at RPPFM coming up uh, to 15 minutes past the hour of 11 o'clock. This Friday, it is the 18th. Good to have your company. Stick around because this is Lockdown Radio all the way through until 3 o'clock today. Brendan in the studio here alongside of Shivani. We've got a stellar guest list as well. Let's kick it off with one of the stars of RPPFM and certainly the star of last Friday's show, Piers Cunningham on the line to tell us about an extraordinary situation because around the world, 23 of the world's top laboratories are trying desperately to come up with a vaccine to get the vaccine and get us all into a healthier place. But below the surface, there stirs another Cold War with a much higher stakes at risk. Governments, reputations and billions of dollars on the line as well. Piers Cunningham is our special COVID reporter. Piers, welcome once again to Lockdown Radio. Morning, Brendan. Interesting days, Piers. We see the wonderful stories. We see Oxford University. We see some of the best minds in the world's best leading biomedical countries having a crack at this thing. Seems to be a little bit elusive. There's politics at play, but deep below the surface, there's a lot more as well. What have you found out? Well, Brendan, I've, I've been uh, delving into this subject of COVID vaccine espionage, and uh, I, I'd say at the start that a vaccine is not likely to be available widely until the end of next year. It's the best mm. information that I can come up with as far as a timeline to for, for people to expect. Uh, and it could be longer. There's no guarantee, obviously, of that. Uh, but what countries are doing, in, in fact, all countries, are ramping up their spying activities to find out uh, exactly what everyone else is up to. So it's not just your sort of traditional you know, Russia or sort of your, your, your sort of classic Cold War from the 1950s and 60s scenario. It's, it's more broad than that. It's, it's countries uh, really looking very widely. Uh, but there have been some specific examples, and you mentioned pharmaceutical giants, including Gilead Sciences, Novavax and Moderna. There's been attempted to, uh, to hack those organisations because they're, they're quite well known, and, and some of them have got um, some quite advanced trials going on with vaccines. And hacking teams have also been trying to break into the computer networks of universities and their epidemiology departments. So those areas of universities specifically focused on developing vaccines. And, and, and the other thing is that, uh, that I found in my, in my reading and, and research on this subject is that while we're waiting for a vaccine, uh, there's other things that are also you know, useful and of strategic importance. For example, very fast and reliable and accurate testing technologies. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Europe has done to open up uh, and get its economy going, economies going is, is to have fast testing at, at airports and stuff. And I believe the fastest reliable tests still take about three hours. 
Uh, but it is, you know, that's better than 24 hours or, or, or longer that, that sometimes we have to wait for in Australia. Uh, but there is a promise of testing uh, that could give you an answer in one minute and a very accurate answer of that. Now, that if that technology was, was stolen or if that became widely available, uh, that would have a lot of implications while we wait for a vaccine because it would make it possible to test people reliably and accurately very quickly, opening up the possibility of international travel, uh, and a lot more business um, interactions, that sort of stuff as well. Piers, so, um, what, what, hi, Shivani here. What hi, form, Shivani. what's the form of that testing that's been meant to take one it, minute? It, yeah, it's, uh, it's a test that's called uh, nanocellular microscopy, uh, combined with artificial intelligence. Wow. So Is that, that one? That's a, that's a technology that allows you to look at cells. Uh, you know, you know, on a, almost on a molecular and atomic level, that, uh, and, uh, and and that can be useful in in target in, in testing for COVID. Is that one um, that developed out of Israel? Because I heard that there was um, a new company that came out, um, company meaning a biological, you know, research company that was looking at that had the name nanoseconds in terms of um, a quick test. I think it might have been a quick saliva test. Look. I'm not actually sure where. I think that technology, the uh, the nanocellular microscopy, has been around for a while, but it's starting to, uh, you know, to gain traction and 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 become and be seen as useful in in in, uh, in testing for COVID. I should I should let you know though, there's been plenty of newfangled tests with big claims which have proved unreliable, misleading, and even fraudulent. So there's a market that's out there. You know, everyone's desperate mm. for quick testing. And, uh, and a lot of it doesn't work. But, of course, all this ahead of the uh, the fabled vaccine. Now, you mentioned, of course, that probably the sage scientific view is we're not going to get a vaccine until at least middle to next year. But that, of course, has been contradicted by number 45 in the White House in the last 24 hours, taking his senior medical advisers to task and saying that they were mistaken. He reckons he's going to get something happening by November. You know, look, I think that people can make those sort of claims and there's even been suggestions that our own Prime Minister has been um, sort of optimistic in some of the, the things that he's been saying about, for, uh, you know, forecasting a vaccine and availability of that. Um, I, was, I was speaking to a, a medical specialist late last week and, um, and they, they, were, they were pretty clear that they didn't think that there would be a reliable and widespread vaccine, you know, throughout the world until the end of next year is what they were saying. So can uh, we... But look, this is, this is very hard to pin down. Um, but, but something that's, that's, uh, that's kind of interesting is that, um, you know, the, 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 the certain countries have actually come out with vaccines. So Russia has apparently been using a vaccine. And, and China has, has, uh, has said, I think there's been some reports that China's uh, been using a vaccine as well. Well, one of the, thing, one of the suggestions... And in some ways, would say it's rather cynical to suggest this, but um, there's a lot of spying going along. There's a lot of a lot of uh, espionage going on, and uh, there have been examples of of, uh, of Chinese nationals being caught in the act uh, and prosecuted in America. I mean, in fact, they're based in China, so it's pretty unlikely they're going to they're going to catch up with them anytime soon. But uh, there have been uh, people named uh, as as hacking uh, these these sort of secrets, and and the suggestion is that those Vaccines that are being used uh, in, in uh, Russia and China have actually originated through uh, through espionage. That they've been stolen. Well, that's very, that's... And, and perhaps are not being, and they're not waiting to do the normal testing. Uh, they're not revealing the source. 
uh, and uh, they're not peer-reviewed and leading to the question, are they even safe for the public that they're being applied to? Well, it, well, it, well indeed, of course, uh, Mr Putin's uh, own daughter uh, uh, allegedly has uh, already undergone some of the Russian vaccine treatment. As you're saying, Piers, we, we theoretically in the West are up to phase three testing, which thousands of people are given placebos and the vaccine itself. In Russia, it seems they're fast-tracking that phase three element. Uh, Putin the other day reckons that his daughter came down with a mild headache and some sort of feverish symptoms but then recovered within 24 hours and she's right as rain and seemingly, according to the Russians, then probably got some immunity against coronavirus. But also there's some suggestions as well that coronavirus um, is difficult, that antibodies are not lasting long in the body anyway and that you're probably going to have to end up with things like boosters at least on a six-monthly, maybe even a 12-monthly basis. Yeah, so, that, so that's why I think that the, the, the conservative um, view is that it's at least until the end of next year before you've got a reliable and sort of long-lasting vaccine. And as you say, there are question marks about the, the virus mutating or, or um, uh, you know, even people who've, who've been exposed to it and recovered fully uh, can, can then, um, you know, fall ill again uh, to the same virus. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, unknowns about this. And, and I guess all this sort of information, what is known, and more and more is being um, gathered by all these research institutions around the world and, and uh, pharmaceutical companies, there's a lot to gain. Any any uh, company that, that makes the breakthrough is going to stands to make billions and billions, maybe trillions. Um, and and also there's strategic benefits involved in this. You know, um, you know, consider where the world is right now with tensions between China and the US and with Russia's ambitions. Um, the country which first masters coronavirus will is going to be seen and is seen to hold a big strategic advantage. And conversely. Uh, if you look at America's runaway lethal pandemic and the, and the huge loss of life and the, and the vast numbers of people uh, contracting it there, um, that, that actually weakens a country and makes it vulnerable. Uh, it, there's been examples of, of aircraft carriers being completely shut down because of outbreaks of coronavirus in the American Navy. Uh, and that's weakened their, their presence around the world, their, their uh, you know, the sort of global cop role, such as it is. Um, has been reduced because of coronavirus. Piers, um, in your travels um, looking into this, and particularly in relation to the espionage and spying that's going around, uh, have you heard anything about a connection to biological or chemical warfare as being the source of the virus? Look, I, I haven't. I mean, I know that there's, there are so many conspiracy theories out there, Shivani. I mean, it's... it's Kind of, it's entertainment in a way, um, but but you know that is a suggestion. I mean, it suggested that this may have been uh, developed in a lab in in Wuhan because there's a there's a you know one of the, the big centres in China for developing um, uh, well things like biological weapons and, and um, you, you know dealing with uh, viruses and SARS and, and some of these other outbreaks that they've had in the past. Uh, well, there is a big facility located in Wuhan that was set up with with the help of the French. Uh, and French expertise, mm. uh, and and so the suggestion is that 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 might have been involved. Uh, look, uh, who knows what the answer is to that? Um, again, um, I think that the general, my general impression is that the medical fraternity um, sees it as a, you know, it, it is something that's originated in the animal kingdom. Okay. Um, so from animal to animal to human, and then human to human. So that seems to be the, and that's happened before. There are other yes. examples of that. Yes. 
Indeed, that does seem to be the latest consensus, in fact, and there seems to be some dismissal about the manipulation of it being an artificial manipulation. But, Piers, I'm just wondering that, uh, you know, you sort of leave me with the vision of a James Bond-type character mooching around a Wuhan wet market looking inside woks and taking specimens and stuff like that. I mean, do you think it's getting down to that sort of subterfuge? He's got a vivid imagination, Piers, as you know. uh, look, I think well, that's, I think they shut down the wet market that, that uh, coronavirus supposedly originated in. Uh, that's been closed. There are, I believe, other wet markets that are open in China, and these are, and I think they're even they're theoretically illegal, but they're not properly controlled. But where there's a sort of a, a trade in, you know, because the Chinese have got, uh, you know, they've got Chinese medicine and, and, and it uses all sorts of different ingredients, um, some from. Um, you know, unusual and exotic animals, and uh, and they find their way into these markets. So they're traded illegally. They're not. There's not great sanitation. Uh, there may be, you know, sewerage and stuff uh, collecting, and and uh, you know, it's just not a very clean environment. And if you've got a lot of people going there uh, to trade and and, um, and and you know do commerce with, with these these animals, then that could be a great uh, breeding ground for diseases and a chance for, for, for uh, diseases that have developed in animals to cross over to to humans, which is that's supposedly what's happened with coronavirus. Well, it's incredible. Right. Piers, we gave you the brief to go out and do the research. You've done it fantastically. You've only been given seven days, and it sounds like you're a world expert on coronavirus and the spy versus spy. But you as are we, our James Bond, in fact. But as we were, <laughs> say, but as we were saying... Um, Piers, I mean, there are, as you say, trillions of dollars at stake. Political careers and destinies are now being shaped by this. And as you say, the first country that finds it, by goodness gracious me, they get some leverage worldwide, haven't they? That's right, yeah. And, and you know, it's all, a lot of countries have been hacked. Uh, well, there was a British artificial intelligence firm supposedly been uh, infiltrated, a Spanish defence contractor and an Australian solar energy company. Uh, and, uh, and and countries that have been targeted for, for uh, you know for espionage into the into the vaccine have been Australia, Belgium, Germany, Japan, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, the US, and the UK. Um, so this is very widespread, and it is a problem because um, you know if you're developing something, you want to keep control of the technology. Uh, otherwise, you know the, your companies and the, and the, the uh, universities and institutes involved in developing lose any incentive to do that. Um, you know, you do need to incentivise, um, especially the private sector, and, uh, and, sec- and secure it. Piers Cunningham, thank you so much for your time. We Thanks, truly Piers. appreciate it. It's, it's been a very insightful, Piers. We're going to set you some more homework for next week. Stand by. All right. We'll speak right, to you soon. Shivani. Bye. Piers Cunningham bringing us the latest about the coronavirus vaccine. Thanks for listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. For our complete back catalogue, head to beyondinfinity.com.au. You can also engage with us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter. 